that asset of multiple brains working in sync yeah. is, is more valuable than the money that you can get from the bank. Hey guys, welcome to the Potchner Podcast. It's Tyler Dietring, and we're here with everybody's favorite, Nick Burns. My man, how are you doing? I'm doing great today, Tyler. I wish everybody could see you on video. You look good today. And Thank you. It's a great Friday. I think it's going to be a huge win. We've already cranked out a really great meeting. That Had was a great fun. Meeting. And uh, we've got some stormy weather today, which always kind of adds an extra element of excitement, right? Yeah, we do. We're going back to Chris Hart. <laughs> we're wind stacking. We right are now. wind stacking. We are right wind stacking. We're making taking small wins, and we're stacking them. Every day, yep. we're having good stuff happen. Momentum, right? I'm excited. So we had a great meeting this morning, and I'm super excited to to talk a little bit more with our guest today on the show. Yeah, yeah. today we're, we're here with Sal Akbani. He's the owner, he's the founder as well, yeah. of Gateway Classic Cars. You know, they're out of, uh, just outside of St. Louis, O'Fallon, Illinois. Sal, thank you for being here with us. How are you doing today? Wonderful, Nick and uh, Tyler. Good to talk to you. Yeah, again. Absolutely. It's been, uh-huh. uh, we, we've never actually met in person, but we've kind of had several kind of back and forth and dealt with your people. And it's, you know, it's been, um, it, that's another, another topic that we could get into of delegation and, mm. um, yeah, but that's a, that's a, we might get into it. We could get into that. I mean, we're early here. We might get into that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Sal, uh, really what we love is the story behind how people got to where they are. We love, um, we just love kind of that backstory and how did you become who you are today? So kind of give us some of that background, uh, story of, um, how did Sal get to where he is today? I got here, uh, in certain ways by conviction and certain by ways by accident. Uh, my background is in, uh, uh, aviation. I became an airplane mechanic, uh, then got my degree in aeronautical engineering, ultimately in 1987 becoming a pilot, and that was my initial passion to begin with. Uh, went to work as an engineer, did not like it, quit. Uh, started a restaurant, was a terrible mistake, quit that one in 14 months, <laughs> liquidated it, and in, got into, again by accident, into a, a manufacturing business. I owned two plants and a distribution center and about 280 employees at one point. Mm. Uh, and wow. uh, and uh, ran that for a while and then got out of that business and uh, uh, came across uh, automotive opportunity that was my second passion after aviation. Mm. Uh, so I've been driving cars since I was 14. I was not legal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't don't don't, yeah. don't mention it to anybody that yeah. they might come after me. For. But anyway, <clears throat> in that respect, uh, the, this business opportunity that came my way looked ideal for my passion. And uh, classic and exotic cars were something that were in the back of my mind. And when this opportunity came along, I jumped into it. And uh, the rest is history. And it's been a wonderful ride uh, because this is a passion business yeah. for me rather than uh, I've got to go to work and get things done. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Let's let's back up. Did you have, I mean, did you have people around you when you were growing up, other entrepreneurs, business owners, business leaders, like how did you kind of build that foundation of wanting to be an entrepreneur? I think being an entrepreneur is, uh, it's almost born and bred into you mm. um, in the sense that uh, just like an artist, uh, you can have parents who are non-artistic, but then they end up with a very gifted child yeah. uh, in art. 
my my father was uh, 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 he was in business, but he was a managing director of a company, and I always goaded him to go out there and start a business on his own, but he wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, as a child, uh, when I came out, it was always in the back of my head that uh, my my ultimate goal and uh, calling was to be a business owner. Uh, how I was going to get there, I did not know. Um, and like everybody else, I followed a passion of going to school, going to college and starting a job and then figuring out how to get into business. But uh, no, I, I don't think I was surprised, surrounded by uh, people that were into, uh, I knew people that were in business, but I did not know them intimately to learn the, the trade. Yeah. I was a total novice. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think it's interesting, you know, saying saying that you were a total novice, right? Going into business ownership on the front end, you've now at this point started and and run multiple different companies. What would you say the value has been now running multiple companies? You were also an employee at one point, and now you're on to uh, Gateway Classic Cars is is your is your priority right now. Um, what have those previous experiences been for you, and and the value that they they bring to you today as an entrepreneur? The previous experiences is that the value of your, the people that you surround yourself with makes a big difference in your yeah. company. Yeah, uh, that was one of the first things that I learned uh, uh, through through mistakes and through learning. Um, that having a good group of people around you yeah. is the key to success because mm. uh, having uh, you you cannot. Uh, it doesn't matter how small of a business owner you are, um, having multiple minds working together in sync is far better than you thinking mm. you're the only one who can think through things that's good that's a, that's a good asset to have it's it's more than money that mm. that asset of multiple brains working in sync yeah is is more valuable than the money that you can get from the bank yeah mm. for sure you know that's something that we've talked about a lot as far as delegation you know um if you're not delegating if you're trying to do everything yourself you're capped by your own you know, your own abilities, but if you're delegating and you're empowering others to do something that they're great at, it just, it's exponential what you can achieve. So kind of, um, what are some of the hiring practice? Like, what are you looking for, uh, whenever you're hiring these people that could be potentially leaders in your company, what are you looking for? First thing I do is I, I discount, uh, college degrees as mm. a primary driver. Um, in fact, majority of my key managers uh, either have associate degrees or no degrees at all. Mm. Uh, the, the intelligence factor is primary. The, the willingness to succeed is, sec is the second most important thing. And the third is how willing are they to work as a team? So those three factors are the most driving factors for me. Um, a good portion of my uh, managers start out in the lower level, and today they are directors. Uh, yeah, they, I, if you've dealt with Brittany Cartman, uh, she came in as a bookkeeper, and today she's a chief compliance officer. Her job wow. is to make sure that we uh, all of the uh, processes in the companies are within legal standards. Uh, our director of operations, uh, Ashley Rogers, uh, and and I've, there's another thing I found that women are better managers than men in many mm -hmm. cases. <laughs> and, uh, and I have promoted them. Neither one of them have uh, bachelor's degrees; they have associates and some college. 
Uh, Ashley is my director of operations. Uh, she has been with us for 16 years and she knows the business inside out. And all I have to do is ask her to get things done and she gets it done. Yeah. I love that. So you have an extreme doer. That's, that's kind of your right hand person of just getting things done. You know, some of those things you've talked about, the willingness to learn, I mean, those are really tough things to quantify when you're interviewing. So what are you doing to notice these characteristics in these people before you're hiring them? Well, we, you know, again, by talking through the process and when you talk to these people, first of all, now we're at a point where they have to come in from the bottom and they come to the top. And by the time they start mm-hmm. coming up, uh, they, 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 their value is uh, determined uh, from, from the efforts that they put in and the results that they produce. In the past, when we were just a one-store operation, I interacted with everybody and uh, you hired people on, on the faith that they will be intelligent, will be hardworking, will be um, doers. Yeah. Um, in half the cases, you succeed, and the other half, yeah. you don't. Yeah. So it's, it time tells whether you can or cannot succeed. Uh, I've seen the most intelligent people not willing to put the effort out, and the people who are sometimes willing to put the most effort out don't have the intelligence to get the job done. Yes, that's good. Yeah, that's super good. It's It, it does seem interesting that... Um, you know, it, it is so hard to quantify some of those characteristics. And, you know, it, I, I love that you're kind of bringing people in on the bottom and trying to bring them up and, and scale that way, you know, on your end, it's like, you have to be patient with those people because it's, that takes time to develop them into leaders because they probably don't come in as leaders. It's like you, you recognize that they have characteristics that could develop into leadership, but they're not there yet because they've never been put in that situation. Um, so I right. think that's super interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that have different mindsets. Some people have the mindset of, Hey, we just need, we just need bodies. We're going to hire whoever we can get. And then if it doesn't work out, we're going to fire them. There's also the other mindset of, Hey, we're going to be really, really slow to hire and quick to fire. It's like, what, what mindset are you on? Are you, are you really, um, very specific about the person you're wanting? Are you more and kind of putting people in situations and seeing if they, they, uh, fail or succeed? We do the, what we do is, as the company has grown, uh, my biggest complaint is because that we have become a, a little bit more bureaucratic than we used to. When we were small, uh, I remember uh, we had a, a person, a, a friend of mine walk in and, uh, uh, and, he's, uh, and I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm looking for a job. And I said, you're hired. Let's get started. Yeah. At the end of the day, he asked me, he says, what am I doing and what am, What are you going to pay me? Exactly. Yeah. So that was my hiring process at that moment. Yeah. Today, we go through uh, background checks, uh, uh, the application process, interview process through several layers. Uh, we are, in that respect, hiring better people. I think we have learned over the years what not to the, uh, look for the basics where you should or should not hire from. And that's getting us uh, better results and better retention uh, at this time than we did in the past uh, of, of good staffing. So we're about halfway there. We, we spend some time more, more than I would like to. Sometimes I get frustrated that positions are not being filled. Yeah. But at the same time, I understand the value of putting some time investment into that person's uh, uh, application and, and process of hiring. Yeah. Um, I'd like to pivot to talk about one of your previous businesses. So 
I, I think we can all um, say that Sal Akbani is an incredible business leader and entrepreneur. I think we can all say that. With that being said, you have a failed business of starting a restaurant and it didn't work out. So kind of, I want to yes. talk to you about that and what you learned from that failure and kind of how that shaped who you are today. The What I learned from that failure was that do your due diligence. As a young man, 24 years old, when I bought that restaurant, I was uh, blinded by the excitement of owning a business. Uh, business ownership is all, at the end of the day, as you all know, it's all dollars and cents. Two plus two always equals four and never equals five if you become euphoric. And <laughs> it will it will end up into being three, two, and one and zero. Yes. If you don't apply things properly, apply proper solutions. So that was uh, my learning. I, I tell people I came in uh, as a novice in in the in the business world, and I think I got my bachelor's degree in fourteen months of that ownership of that yes. restaurant business. <laughs> I learned what not to do. Yes. At the same time, I had to teach myself how to look at numbers. I was I was an engineer. I was not an accountant. Uh, today, I'm not an engineer. I'm more of a finance and accounting person. I can read numbers far better and solve those uh, uh, those problems than I can any any engineering problem. So it's it's important to understand the the economics of every business venture. Uh, without doing homework, you have a very high chance of failing. Mm, that's good. So do you think do you think the situation with the restaurant? Do you think it was a situation where it you just were not educated enough, experienced enough to have a successful business, or do you think it was that that particular industry and business was just not right for sale? Which one do you think it is? It was all of the above, in the sense that uh, number one, uh, I was, uh, as I said, twenty four years old, young man, uh, just dying to start a business, and uh, uh, overbought the business. Overvalued the business, overbought the business, did not understand the trajectory that business was on. And those were my learning curves that taught me that I should have spent more time understanding it. And the next business that I took on, I did a little bit more due diligence in making sure that the numbers were matching up better than before. Yeah. For sure, that's, you have to uh, have that, passion for every business, but uh, beyond passion, you have to have numbers to go with it. Mm, that's beautiful. Good. So I, I think you were saying you you said that you did find uh, you, you were the one that created you were the founder of the manufacturing business. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, and so you so you grew that from nothing all the way to did you say two hundred and thirty ish employees? We had uh, two hundred eighty employees. Two hundred eighty employees. Yes. Um, yeah. So obviously that business model is different than the business model of a restaurant. Um, what was what was it like jumping out of this restaurant business and now into a new manufacturing business and then trying to now relearn, uh, I guess in some sense, the principles that you've learned already and now how do I grow and scale this business? The, the manufacturing business was a little bit more closer to my education background. I mm. had I, I understood the technicalities of that business. Uh, at the same time, I had some friends who were in the textile business, uh, and uh, my father had also had 
in the past uh, ventured into the textile side of the business uh, as an employee. So uh, using his knowledge and his expertise and, uh, and, and some of the insights from my friends that were already in um, business at that time, uh, one of them owned an ad specialty company in California that sold uh, from pins, pens and mugs, coffee mugs to t-shirts and polo shirts to other corporations. So with their guidance, I got into it. Uh, it, it, just like every business, it has its bumpy starts. You yeah. realize that you got into it and you didn't take into account each and every what if out there. Yeah. And uh, those what ifs will come back to bite you. Yeah. Just, just make sure that they don't uh, kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of going back a little bit or really even currently, have you guys, have you had any, um, I guess, influential people in your life that have kind of been with you from the start? They've, they've been there maybe as mentors or as peers, but it's someone that you can uh, bounce ideas off of or bounce problems off of. Um, have you had anybody like that in your life? Yes, very much so. And the, the, the most important person in my life was my father. Mm. Um, he was, uh, just to give you a quick background, and he was a high school dropout, but ended up becoming a managing director of a $35 million company, uh, family business in uh, 1976. So he rose from the bottom up. Uh, he was uh, very principled, hardworking, uh, very anecdotal also. So he uh, instilled in us certain characters that, uh, that uh, we at that time when we were growing up thought, this is just old man talking. Yeah. He, yeah, he's always trying to put medicine, bitter tasting medicine in us. Uh, one of the things that he instilled upon us was that every man is made up of four C's. And we used to roll our eyes up whenever he said that. Uh, the first C was the character. If you have a good character, you will have success in the, in the end. Uh, he said uh, that the company you keep, the second C, determines your character. Uh, and the third one is the contribution you make in life and the last one was he said always have a little bit of cash don't be poor <laughs> i love that i like that i love C's. that but if you've got the three yeah. c's you're most likely going to have the cash right yes eventually you get the cash and the amount of cash uh, is uh, after a certain point becomes irrelevant it's the, the first three that become most important to you and that's what I do is I try to uh, uh, look at any person that I'm dealing with in the first three C's. Mm. Uh, what are they? What are, what's their character? What, who are they aligned with? And uh, what kind of contribution they're making to society or mankind? Mm. And if those three C's are, are there, then having a business relationship with that person will be a lot more uh, convenient and easier to work with. Mm. That's good. You know, a lot of yeah. times, a lot of times when you get that fourth C, the cash, uh, things change, right? So how have you been able to, I guess, uh, keep yourself grounded and keep yourself humbled through that once you've gotten that fourth C, the cash? How have you keep, kept the first three Cs while getting the fourth C? I've always, uh, and again, I, I uh, my background includes, uh, I started myself, I went to college myself, I funded it. Uh, and for my own uh, uh, resources, in most cases, uh, except the last five semesters, I had to have my parents help me out. But <clears throat> uh, so I I'm 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 familiar with poverty. Let's put it that way. 
uh, I have faced uh, that situation and uh, I always looked at the people who were doing better than me and I said, someday I'll get there. But I've never forgotten where I was at one point mm, in my life. Good. And uh, I want to, uh, I always consider myself to be a poor person. I said, there's always somebody doing better than me. So uh, my, I need to be humble and uh, not display any negative characteristics that may sometimes come with uh, being successful on the financial side. Talking about those first three C's, um, and you know, I think you'd said whenever you were 24, first buying that restaurant, you were you said you were burning to just start a business to get something started. Um, right. How what what was your vision then compared to what it is now, and what does that look like moving forward? How have those C's kind of changed over time for you? Quite frankly, I didn't have a vision. Mm. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was just getting into something and going through. However, uh, the 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 characters that were the the the, the, the traits that I carried uh, it came from uh, my father again. And anytime I went back to him for advice, uh, he would never say uh, "do this" or "don't do this," but he would always say, "What do you think you should do?" Mm. Mm. That's so, good. Uh, there were times when. Uh, there were temptations there. This is illegal. And do you really want to do this? What do you think? Yeah. Mm, yeah. He was my backstop to, to in many cases on making sure that I don't fall into a situation where I would regret being in that down the road. I love that. So um, kind of going on more current, like what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in your business today and going forward? There are a handful of challenges. Uh, Of course, the the, the business has been fairly successful in the sense that from 2003 onwards, we've always been a profitable company. We have always produced profits, positive cash, um, and uh, the year of 2020 and 2021, we did exceptionally well um, uh, in, in business. Uh, our profits nearly doubled. Our costs did not go up, but our income went up because wow. we have a static cost. Uh, based, uh, there's only so much you pay for real estate. Uh, your, your labor costs are fairly uh, squared up. So any excess income that comes in goes towards your profit. So we... We had a very strong 2020, uh, we, uh, 2020 and 2021. Uh, however, during that period, this was a shutdown mode period. We were, we did not get the inventory to replenish. So our challenge uh, when 2022 came along or 2021, mid 2021 came along, we recognized that two things were happening. One was the we were challenged, we were struggling for inventory. And uh, we had to become more creative to get those inventories in. And secondly, uh, the labor shortage. Uh, we with with the the amount of assistance that the government was putting out there, uh, we were losing employees, yeah. especially on the lower tier level. Anybody who was making twenty dollars or less in our company, um, uh, we we struggled to keep them uh, on the job. Yeah, and uh, but that has mostly been recovered now, and 
in the 21 showrooms, we still have, we're down to eight positions open as of Wednesday. That's great. So we have, we have recovered from at one point over 39 positions being vacant. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great. I want to, uh, I definitely want to continue on the vision path. So I think it's proper time for the lightning round here, Sal. So we've got uh, six questions here. I think, I think Tyler actually already asked one of them. So there's going to be five, um, but that, but the very last question will leave us right off on the vision side of things. So uh, without further ado here, we've got question number one coming here. Are you ready, Sal? Go ahead. Fire away. Okay. What is one thing that you do outside of your business that allows you to be successful in your business? I walk. Mm, beautiful. Good time for thinking or you listen to yes. podcasts or, or do you do you not listen to anything? I, I listen to ebooks uh, or, or, or YouTube channel on the video side of it. It's like podcasts. Sure. Um, I, love, I love history, so especially ancient history. Mm. So I uh, try to uh, spend some time every week. Uh, reading up on, or in today's uh, case, uh, more listening up on it than reading up on it. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) What time do you wake up in the morning, get your day started? Um, My standard wake up time is six o'clock, but most of the time I try to beat the uh, wake up uh, and my alarm. So usually right around between five and six, I'm up. Uh, That's seven days a week. That's, uh, That's Saturday and Sunday. Mm. Yeah. I think that's huge. I'm trying to implement that right now because breaking the momentum, right, is something you don't want to do. Um, My batteries go down right around 930 in the in the evening. After that, I'm no good. To, <laughs> but yeah, I've walked out of parties. Sure. In the, in the height of parties at 930, 10 o'clock, I said, I'm done. I'm going home. <laughs> well, Sal, I'm interested to hear your, your answer to this next question. It is, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? I love to win. Uh, that would be if, if I had a choice of one or the other. Beautiful. So this this so. next question here was going to be one person that has supported you from the beginning. I think that that is your father based on based on the conversation we've had up to, up to this point. Uh, so mm-hmm. the next question here is, what is your favorite pastime? What are some things that you do for fun? Uh, I travel quite a bit. I, I, I've been to Europe several times, been to Hawaii, been to the Caribbean. Uh, I'm planning to go to uh, South America, which I've never been. So that would be my passion as uh, business diversifies and more managers take over. That'll give me the time to disappear for a little bit longer time than a week to 10 days. That uh, that, pairs nice like with, that pairs nice with your interest in history then, huh? Yes, definitely. I, if you ask my girlfriend, uh, she will tell you that I will go to a museum or a city. And the first thing I do is go to a museum. <laughs> and spend hours so beautiful um, it's 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 my passion love it well uh getting back now here to the vision side um mm-hmm. and, and kind of resuming back on more of our, our business focused conversation here what are you currently speaking into existence in uh in the business well i guess maybe it's not just business but in maybe in your life maybe in your business what is something that you're currently speaking into existence I'm not following that question. Tell me a little bit. Can you phrase it a little bit differently? I guess. Uh, I guess on, the the question is on vision, right? What is mm-hmm. what is something that you're actively pursuing that you want to attain, or that some success that you want to achieve? What is that thing or place, or you know, maybe maybe that's a process. Maybe it's not a place or a thing. Maybe it's this is uh, this process of this 
you know it's a it's a journey and uh we we uh, uh before covid hit uh we had 18 showrooms and in 2019 and our goal was to uh, to reach uh, add three more showrooms every year after that so that we didn't get a chance because of the shutdown now we're doing the same thing where we added three showrooms which included the Tulsa showroom next year we are planning to do three more uh, and continue to do it. My goal, next goal is to reach, we have 21 showrooms. Next goal is to reach 30 showrooms. Uh, that should take our company into about a quarter. And it's, these are just numbers. We That'll take us into about a $250 million gross revenue level uh, by 2026. So that's our goal is to reach that 30 showroom figure, take the company to $250 million, and then... There's also discussions, we just had that on Wednesday uh, in, in our staff meeting as to what future avenues that we need to take besides classic cars. What else can we make this company into? Sure. Yeah, that's great. So, Gateway classic airplanes? Do I Gateway see coming classic now? airplanes. I love it. Uh, don't know about that. I don't <laughs> think you'll find too many supporters in, in my group yeah. of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But we are looking into uh, uh, actually starting up. We're not looking, actually. We are starting up in about two to three weeks uh, an online auction program Ooh. in addition to classic car sales. Great. Because there's a certain group of people in our industry that thrive on the thrill of yes. auctions. Yes. They like to play the, yep. the game. The, 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 the game. It's, it's the game. So we want to attract some of those high-end uh, clients that 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 like to do the online auctioning. So our online auction program is complete. We're doing live testing right now internally. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was told on Wednesday that by the end of November, it should be uh, actively open to public auctioning. Wow. So Beautiful. that that's another thing that is very dependent on inventory. You know, I'm, I watch mm -hmm. a guy, a car guy on YouTube, his name's Doug DeMuro, and he started he started a, an auction company called carsandbids.com, which I don't want to yes. promote his website. I'm familiar with it. But, I'm, I'm um, familiar with him. And uh, do the company. Yeah. yeah, he's done a really good job of getting inventory and building up his brand through his mm -hmm. YouTube channel. And people mm -hmm. are, he basically what he does is he asks people, basically advertises, hey, if you want me to come um, basically review your car, um, mm -hmm. I would love to come do it. And he has 3 million, three or four or 5 million subscribers and they come yes. on and he reviews the cars and he's, he's this eccentric, eccentric guy. And then he has the in on all these guys and they want to sell their cars on cars and bids. And I'm sure he gets a cut from them, but it's a really mm -hmm. interesting business model. And he's been able to monetize his name uh, through YouTube. And it's really interesting. But it sounds it like is. Uh, yeah, yeah. We 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 are familiar with cars and bids. We have looked at their business model. Uh, there's also another company called Auto Hunter. Uh, another company uh, uh, I can't recall its name, but they um, the online auctioning uh, is 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 has become popular in the yeah. last three years. Yeah. Um, in our case, so we have a little bit of a slightly different business model yeah. that we attend to uh, in the sense that uh, in the online business like cars and bids, uh, the seller or the owner of the car is actively involved in the process of selling that car being okay. auctioned off. Yeah. In our case, uh, the clientele that we work with 
uh, doctors and attorneys and bankers and business owners, yep. uh, celebrities that yep. are not going to get involved in yep. selling their own cars. They want yep. somebody else to yep. uh, take over that headache or the process yep. of it. And yep. personal, uh, personal and financial security is another concern on their part. They don't want to put their hundred thousand dollar car in their home and try to sell it yep. in a gated community. Uh, it's it's not something that they have the knack yep. for and the they they wish to do it. So we we cater to a different clientele. Got it. Uh, it's a smaller clientele. Uh, it's a, what I call the Rolex wearing clientele. They, um, they, 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 they live in a different uh, environment, uh, and the and their lifestyle is different than yeah. than the, at least mine and yours. Yeah, and I, I just want to make it clear to anybody listening: do not go to carsandbids.com. <laughs> do not do that. You need to go to gatewayclassiccars.com. I've seen I've seen the website. All the inventory is there. It's a really clean website. I I love that you put the inventory nationwide on the website. I think that's a big yes. thing because people can look at okay in your St. Louis showroom you've got this car that I really want. I can call the company. I can buy it and either get it shipped or fly up and drive it down, whatever I need to do. I love that concept. And I think it's absolutely essential today to have that. It is. Uh, with the, the again, the, the, the clientele that we address, the, both the buyer and the seller, uh, they're, they're the higher end echelon of the economic um, uh, tier. So they, in their case, uh, the, from the buyer's perspective, what we do is when we bring these cars in, we... Um, inspect these cars or wet them for quality. Uh, we we ensure that the cars that we're representing are of uh, the top end quality. And then on top of that, once we bring those cars in, we present them in, in as detailed format as possible. Uh, you'll see at least 75 to 125 pictures, a, co a complete video of starting driving the car, any flaws that are, if the tail light is not blinking right, we will display it. And then uh, we uh, do require our staff to declare all the good, bad, and the ugly on every car, no matter where you call them from. You, we have 11% of our business is export. We, every month, we export out about 33 to 40 cars a month. Wow. Um, so when people call us from those remote areas, and that's 95% of our business is remote sight and scene. With, with trust in us, yep. uh, we receive the funds. The buyer does not get to see the car until it gets through their door. Yep. What we also have incorporated recently is the active video chat. We will take a program like WhatsApp. You call us from Australia or Wichita, Kansas, and we will take uh, our cell phone and go to the car and walk around it as if you were there and then answer each and every question of yours and show you everything that you will see when you get the car. Yeah, uh, we we call them again. The acronyms is called CBM, Confidence Building Measures. Mm. Uh, and I was taught that in a, in a in a training class in sales training, that the 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 highest value transaction is 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 contracted, and you make the best value for your product uh, when you have the confidence of the consumer mm. who is buying your product. That's if good. you build that confidence, they will pay you a premium for your product. Mm. Mm, that's good. I yeah. feel like I'm in sales class right now. I love this. Yeah, the, I think the the sales side of things is really interesting uh, because it, it's such a situational. Um, I, I don't know if you'd call it a profession or a career or thing that you do, but um, sales is so important. And if it's not done properly with the proper 
with the proper motivation, right? Because if some if some Yahoo gets out there and all his motivation is, is to make more money, he's probably not going to be the best salesman that he could be, right? Um, exactly. It, we, we, I, I think we the sales a, is interesting. Yeah, sales part of it. And, and what we do is when we hire a sales staff member, uh, whenever, even when we hired them in Tulsa, we brought them to St. Louis and had them stay there. And we first put them through classes for the first three days. In the next two days, they are actively on the floor working with our sales staff. One of the things that we uh, tell people is, number one, um, is, 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 is how you appear yourself because you will be talking to the customer over the phone. You will never see your eyes. So the confidence building portion of that comes through your voice. Mm. How you approach them and how you treat them is going to make a difference. If you try to... You, you, you should help them buy a car. You should never ha- force them to buy one, mm. uh, purchase one. Uh, you are their assistant, you are their helper, and you are their guardian to help make sure that the product is purchased, that they have purchased is correct. Yeah. Uh, secondly, everything that we sell is a one product. It's not a needed product. Nobody needs what we're selling. Uh, it's a classic car. It's a toy. You're going to drive it. You're going to bring it home walk around it for the first two or three weeks, uh, uh, admiring it, then you may drive it three or four times a year and your neighbors would come over and admire the car for a few times. But beyond that, you're not running to get groceries, you're not going to drive the, that car to work, uh, very rarely. Uh, so it's basically a toy, it's a want product. And a want product, the way you sell it is very different than what you sell as a need product. A need mm. product is more price conscious, mm. uh, urgency conscious. You need a car today to get to work. Your car broke down. You need to buy a car today. That's a different process of selling. Here, the process is we're here to get you something that you will enjoy. Yep. Do you like this product and why do you like it? We need to know the background. And in my cases, I've taught my staff sometimes to see, determine that if the if the buyer is uh, being spontaneous uh, and not recognizing some of his wants and needs, uh, perhaps you need to talk them out of buying that mm. car. Mm. Uh, for example, if we have a customer who's six foot six and 330 pounds, <clears throat> you don't want to sell them a Cobra kit car just because they want it. It's going to, they're going to, won't be able to get into it once it gets there. Uh, <laughs> You you don't want to sell a 1,000 horsepower sports car to an accountant in in San Francisco. It's it's just one of those cars you're not gonna they're not gonna enjoy buying. They they're excited about buying it, but once it gets through their door, and they 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 use it, they're gonna recognize that this is not what they wanted, mm. and that will be the end of the process and the relationship. You want that process and relationship to continue. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Interesting. Man, Sal, this has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, I think we could probably continue this conversation, you know, into the next couple hours here. Yeah. I feel and like Sal, what we do <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah, what we do is we do a um, a recap episode. So we're going to do a recap on this, and we say really nice things. Thanks. And I'm I'm super excited about this one because there's just a lot to really unpack yeah. here of things we talked about that we didn't have time to dig into. So I'm just sure yeah, it's been a great great episode, and I appreciate you so much. It's I feel like I've learned a lot as well on yep. this. And it's uh, been good. Yeah. So, Sal, thank you so much. This has been another episode of Botchner Podcast, and we will see you guys next time. 